So when the nation of Israel was united in the north and the south, and they were one nation, everything was happy and peaceful, and they were united, and then they had civil war and divided into two, really two parts of the nation, or even two nations. The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah is where Jerusalem was, and all the religious professionals were in Jerusalem in the south, in, in Judah. And so what happened is that the northern kingdom was attacked numerous times and surrounded by, by foreign nations. And what happened is that the people in the northern kingdom started to intermarry with the foreign nations around them and then create offspring and next generation that weren't purebred Jews. They were half-breeds. And then they referred to that, because that area in the north was Samaria. They referred to those people as Samaritans. So the Jews in Jerusalem and down south that were purebreds would now look with disdain and disgust on these half-Jews, half-foreigners people who they, they referred to then and called Samaritans. So Jews looked that one on Samaritans. Okay, that's the point. Now I'll read the story. From Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25, Jesus is speaking here, and it's, it's introducing, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You can learn a lot about a dog by looking at their owner. Even aside from the funny pictures of dogs that look like their owners or owners that look like their dogs, however that works. A, vet a veterinarian can look at a dog, and by looking at that dog, studying it, observing it, maybe even doing some tests on it, that veterinarian could probably tell you a few things about that dog's owner. How well do they take care of it? How do they exercise it, right? So a veterinarian can look at a dog, 
and, and get a good picture of the owner. Uh, people do that when they want to know what God is like too. And who do they look at? They look at the church. So what are people learning about God when they look at us? I tell you what, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's very obvious that Jesus is contrasting the church, which is represented in the parable by priests and Levites who are religious professionals, and they represent the church, and their unforgiveness and their disgrace, contrasting that with the Samaritan, this unchurched dude, full of forgiveness and grace. I studied that this week, and it made me ask three questions. What is it that makes a Samaritan good? We are, right, we've come up with this term, good Samaritan. What is it really that makes us attracted to the Samaritan to call him good? And if there's a good Samaritan, what about the best Samaritan? Who would that be? And through all of that, could I perhaps do anything possible in my life to be a better Samaritan? The answer to all those questions begins by taking a, taking a look at this man who asked Jesus the question, right? So we need to look at this. He's, the Bible says an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He wanted to justify himself. So... This is a lawyer. He's an expert in the law. He's paid to be an expert, but the kind of law that he practices is church law. He's an expert in all of the regulations of the law, including God's law that he gave to Israel, but all the laws that the church stacked on top of that, he's an expert in them. He wants to make sure that people are obeying them. He's kind of a policeman a little bit too, not just a lawyer. And what does he do? He's, he stands up. So... There was a group of people Jesus was probably teaching. They're probably sitting down. And all of a sudden, the lawyer stands up. He's not impressed with Jesus. And with, with Jesus forgiving people for their lack of law-keeping. And he's very impressed with himself. He, he stands up in the crowd. Look at me. And he's standing up to protest something. That's what protesters do. They want to be noticed. They don't, they don't sit behind the crowd. Protesters want to be front and center with big signs and be loud and be on TV. And so this lawyer is protesting, not underprivileged people, not animal rights. He's protesting Jesus himself. He wants to justify himself, it says. He wants to feel good and look good and, it, and he's like that driver who's driving along and can't is looking at himself or herself in the rearview mirror and smashes into a parked car. The Bible has a word for that. Pride. Just put that in your search bar in your Bible app and you'll get a lot of verses. Here's a couple. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. See, they're partners, aren't they? Disgrace is, is no grace. Disgrace is, is unforgiveness. Pride and no grace are partners. 
Pride and unforgiveness are partners. Pride and grace are not partners. You cannot, where one is, you cannot have the other. Pride and forgiveness are not partners. Where one is, you cannot have the other. But pride and disgrace. Where there's pride, there's no grace. And, and I tell you what, grace in two ways. No grace to give other people. But also no grace received when there is pride. Hey, here's the next verse, Isaiah 2. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. When we stand up and protest, when we rise to the defense of our own righteousness when we're critiqued or criticized, when we stand up to Jesus and insist that this mistreatment that we are receiving, this injustice that's coming our way, this trouble and storm that's in my life, I don't deserve that. Those people deserve that, but I don't deserve that. Why is this happening to me? When I have feelings of superiority over others, because I'm, I'm a church member and a pastor, Because I'm white. Because I'm educated. Because I drive a truck that's higher than yours. When I have feelings of superiority over others, and then that's that's pride. Of entitlement. Of and then two things are happening. Number one, I'm preventing myself from receiving God's grace. I'm, I'm, I'm just standing up. I'm, I'm putting this wall up. And number two, I'm not just preventing myself from receiving God's grace. I'm pretending to be God. Right? Look at this verse from Isaiah. God says, There's, the Lord alone is exalted. If, if you want to stand up and, and uh, exalt yourself and justify yourself, God says, I'm going to humble you. I, I will find a way to, to put you down. Why? Because it's for your good. You're not me. You, you can't be God. And so this lawyer, this expert in the law, really wanted to be God, and he couldn't. When I'm humbled by God, I realize how much I need grace and how much everyone needs grace. Not just me, but the people in my life and need forgiveness. And that's the start of being a better Samaritan. Uh, I explained earlier how much the, the Jews thought that the Samaritans were dirt. How much they looked down on them. They suppressed them. They even oppressed them. So think about this. Here's, here's the Samaritan walking along, walking from Jerusalem to Jericho or the other way. And as he walks by, he sees this Jew I mean, and not just one. He's he, I, the entire Jewish race, like re, like represented by this guy. There's the entire Jewish race, and they're in the ditch, and their blood. 
and they're beaten. This, these people who have oppressed me, who have suppressed me, who have who made me ride in the back of the bus, who made me maybe sometimes take a different path that I couldn't walk on theirs because they were so privileged. Who made me, put me in a tax bracket that, that wasn't as advantaged as theirs. All these people are there in the ditch who have hurt me, who have harmed me, who have called me names. I, I, I grew up with some of them and they wouldn't let me play with them. I had to, there they are. Oh, what thoughts are going through your mind as the Samaritan at that point? If I were there, I'd be thinking, ha, yeah, there you are, Mr. Big Shot Jew. Now you have what's coming. It's about time that you receive some justice for all of the injustice you caused me. Yeah, take that. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be very natural for those people in those circumstances? I think it would be very natural. I'm good at explaining it because it's happened to me. Here's the thought of the Samaritan. He has to be tempted to think this. For once, a Samaritan, a Samaritan, could be proud of his position over a Jew. Maybe he wasn't evil in his thoughts, as, as I explained it. But at least this could be a, even a gentle thought. Just the thought of, it's about time that the Jews are in the ditch instead of the Samaritans. That really makes me feel good. I'm going to go on my merry way. The priest and the Levite had every reason to help a fellow Jew. And they passed by the other side. The Samaritan had every reason to pass by the other side. And he helped a Jew. That's the contrast that Jesus wants us to get. Look, look at this now. How did he help him? Verses 33 to 35. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, that's about two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. How does the Samaritan act differently than the priest and the Levite? Than the church? I tell you what, there's one similarity, and that's it, it ends there. The one similarity is all three of the travelers, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, all three of them see the Jewish man beaten and bloody in the ditch. Half dead, Jesus says. All three of them see him, and the similarities end there. The priest and the Levite see him, they're like rubberneckers, right? They like, they like see this, this bad scene. Oh, maybe they slow down a little bit and, you know, people behind them are rubbernecking too and they're creating a little traffic jam. Oh, that's the reason for a traffic jam. And then keep on going. The Samaritan 
seized him, and he's not a rubbernecker. He comes to him, says he. He, he didn't just see him. He came where the man was. He stopped. And then it says he took pity on him. Don't skip over that too quickly. It's using a word. Jesus is using a word there that means his guts were moved. And this is not indigestion. The, uh, the, the Samaritan, his soul is stirred. Put it that way. The, the Jewish man in the ditch is feeling pain and hurt. He's hurting. He's beat up. And the, the, the Samaritan walking behind the road is, is feeling pain too. He feels pain because he, that guy's feeling pain. He hurts because that guy is hurting. His soul is stirred. He took pity on him, Jesus says. So it causes the Samaritan pain. He went to him and bandaged his wounds. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The Samaritan cleaned the wounds of the Jew instead of creating war. And then it cost him something. Forgiveness is free. It, by definition, it has to be free. It can't come conditionally. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. Forgiveness does not cost the person who's forgiven anything, but always costs the person who gives forgiveness something. And I'm not just talking about Jesus, I'm talking about us. Grace and mercy, feeling, pity and compassion, when you don't just feel, but you act on that in some way, it costs you. This cost the Samaritan something. He had to get off his donkey so he could put the half-dead guy on his donkey. And he had to walk. It inconvenienced him. He, had, he used his own bandages. He used them up. He couldn't use them again. They were all bloody and icky from the, from the half-dead guy. He used his own money and gave it to the innkeeper. And then he opened a tab at the front desk of the hotel and said, that guy wants to order room service a few times, no problem, just charge it to my tab. It cost him something. Forgiveness never costs the person who is forgiven and always costs the person who gives freely. That's, this is what good Samaritans do. They help even when it hurts. Better Samaritans. I'm going to play on these words a little bit here. So give me some. Give me some boundaries. But I think good Samaritans help people. Better Samaritans help people who don't deserve it. Help people who deserve the opposite. Actually, better Samaritans. And the best Samaritan. Who's that? We have the answer when Jesus asked the, the expert in the law, who is the neighbor to the man? And the expert in the law can't even say the term Samaritan. It's so despicable to him. He's not even going to give honor to the Samaritan in the story. When Jesus said, who's the neighbor to the man? 
the, the expert in law says, the one who had mercy on him. The best Samaritan always has mercy on those who are half dead, in the ditch, beaten up, and in need. Always mercy. Always acting in mercy to everyone who needs mercy all the time. Who's the best Samaritan? Who's the one who, who always has mercy? The best Samaritan is Jesus. I did something different when I, when I studied the parable of the Good Samaritan this week. Something I'd never done before. I, I, and I can't believe I hadn't realized it to this point. But I think you'd understand. As a religious professional, the, the person in the story that I identify with the most in the parable of the Good Samaritan would be who? The religious professionals. Right? So when I hear the parable of the Good Samaritan, I see myself in the priest and in the Levite. I see myself in pride, rubbernecking at people's needs, and walking past saying, oh, isn't that too bad? That's the reason for the hang-up and moving on. I see myself representing a church that is often accused of, of not showing forgiveness and mercy when people need it most. But judgmentalism, which is really pride. But this, I, I saw that for a second, and then I thought, and this, I, I want to invite you to do this too. And may, maybe even if you're not religious professionals, you've seen yourself, that's a recently about the story too. But for the first time, I identified with the guy in the ditch. Identified with the man who is bloody and beaten. And that didn't make me feel innocent because this Jew and his race, right? I told you all about this. They suppress Samaritans. They oppress them. He's not innocent. And I'm not either. And, and if you identify with that, that man in the ditch, I think there's something in this parable for you that you might not have quite found. I'm beaten up, not, I mean, and, and the robber is, is my pride. I haven't escaped that. I'm still as proud as the priest and the Levite, but I'm, I'm, I'm beaten up by it. And I'm, I'm in this ditch and I can't get up on my own. I, I don't have the hope to recover. I, I'm weak. I'm half dead. I, I can't go on in my journey. I'm stuck. And along comes the best Samaritan. And I'm glad because the priest and the Levite, the church, sometimes a person in that position, the, uh, the church, even Christian friends, don't give them the help that they need. But there is always one who always gives help that is needed. There is always one who always gives mercy to those who need it, and that's the best Samaritan. 
So when, when you're there and you're the bloody guy in the ditch and you're, you're beaten up and you're robbed by your pride and you, and you can't believe that you've acted in that way, but you have, and you wish you hadn't, and, it, and it's just, and, and guilt and shame is beating you up, then see him who sees you. The best Samaritan, Jesus. I know Jesus is a Jew, okay? I'm saying he's a Samaritan, not ethnically, but in this story. He's, he's the best Samaritan. He sees you. So, Jesus is, it doesn't just happen to take a glance and, oh, there you are. He's always watching you. Always looking after you. Always seeing you. And he knows you're in the ditch. And he knows you're beaten up by your shame and your guilt. And he knows it. And he, like the Good Samaritan, he comes to you. Right? Jesus doesn't find you there, see you there and say, oh, what are, what are you doing in the ditch? You shouldn't be in the ditch. You should behave better than that. He says, oh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I'm, I'm here. Here, let me help. And I'm not going to go anywhere until we make this better. And you think, oh, if you only knew, Jesus, if you only knew who you were talking to right now, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't want to help someone like me. Go help someone. And he takes pity on you. And he feels. He feels. There's something that stirs in his spirit. As much as you're hurting from your shame and your guilt, Jesus is hurting too. And his, his guts are moved and his soul is stirred. And he takes pity on you. He has compassion on you. And he pours out his mercy on you. And he heals your wounds at his expense. And the oil that he puts on your wounds of guilt and shame and pride, the oil that he puts on them is his own blood that he, that he paid on the cross for, as a price for forgiveness for, for everybody, for you. It's yours too. And the bandages that he used to, to cover up your wounds are his grave cloths from his tomb. And he, and he rose from the tomb, he rose from the dead, and those signify newness, a new start, a new life for you. And he heals you. And then he covers all extra costs. Oh, he covers those costs. As much as he covered your sins by his payment. Healed, loved, pulled out of the ditch. At, at the hotel, you've recovered now. Now it's time to get back on the road and travel. Now it's time for you to walk along in this newness. You're, you're healed. And Jesus has taken care of your expenses. And then you see someone in the ditch. And now you, the one who was formerly there, are walking along and see someone there yourself. And you have a choice to make. Will I or won't I? And if nothing else, know this. Any cost you incur, any inconvenience you experience, Jesus covers that cost too. 
and you can't outgive the one who gives you so much when you travel along. This verse applies. When Jesus had asked the uh, expert of law, you know, when he said, what do I need to do? Um, Jesus says, what does the Bible say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Healed you, you've, you've risen, you're traveling. This verse now is not so much a command or a demand, but a call, but a direction. You know the love of the best Samaritan, and you say, I want to be a better Samaritan like him. I want my guts to, to move. I want to feel the pity that, that he feels on others too. And you travel along, and lo and behold, you become that better Samaritan as you extend grace and mercy to others as easily as you extend it to yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what that means. We're all naturally good at being patient with ourselves and loving and kind. And Jesus says, now you can do that to others. Now that you've been healed and forgiven. That's mercy. And that, I believe, is the key to becoming a better Samaritan. I can give you ten tips to being a better Samaritan. But I, I think this is this is where it's all at, right? A better Samaritan does more than help people. A better Samaritan has mercy on people, just like the best Samaritan. When was the last time someone was a good Samaritan to you? I recounted my week. On Monday, a pastor friend shared scripture with me in a way that made me realize I was full of pride. And it brought me to humility in a good way, in an appreciative way of my best Samaritan. On Wednesday, a co-worker sacrificed for me while I was being selfish. On Thursday, I went to a medical office because I had arranged ahead of time with them for me to grab uh, one of my, a piece of medical of, of my medical records, and uh, I went there because they hadn't told me it was ready. <clears throat> they were supposed to notify me, and they didn't. So I was already going there with the attitude. And I walked in the, the office, and I saw the lady at the front desk, and I identified myself, and I said, "Here's a form I filled out and sent to you to have this, the medical records." and and I hadn't received them yet or even heard from you. And she typed on the computer and found my name and said, Oh, yeah, we sent those to the Westlake office. And I gave her a snarky look like, Are you kidding me? I'm in Florgerville and Round Rock, not in Westlake. And she looked at me and smiled and said, Well, sir, I could print them for you right now and then. she did. And on Friday, it was my birthday on Friday, and people were wishing me happy birthday, and it always humbles me because I don't wish people happy birthday as much. There's people, you might be among them, people, I'm not good at wishing people happy birthday. I, I don't pay attention to it, I forget it. And so I had people wishing me happy birthday, and it was a humbling experience because I didn't, I've never wished them a happy birthday. And all those people were good Samaritans in my week. All those people God used for me to realize my pride and selfishness just get in the way. 
And he works through these wonderful, lovely people in my life to remind me that I can be a better Samaritan too. Will you join me on that journey? And then you will be robbed less by pride and rejoice more in the joy that is yours in the mercy of Jesus. And then you will feel less stifled as you pay attention only to yourself. And you'll feel, you'll feel, you'll be stirred with more pity and mercy on others. And when you think it is going to cost you too much, the best Samaritan promises, he's got all your expenses covered. 